fault he asked everybody to call him Spike to establish an informal rapport. Died in 1971 of a heart attack while playing tennis. In the Bahamas, that's what I was saying. Sebastian Wolcott could become the best player ever to come out of the Bahamas where Spike <laughs> Ecker died of a heart attack in 1971. While playing tennis. <laughs> Putting that in my blurb, I'm, I'm resending. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, he hit record, by the way. Here we go. In five, four, three. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff, here with Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, and not Spike Ecker. Jim, you want to take it from here? We're, we're just going to talk about former Major League Baseball Commissioner Spike Ecker for the entirety of this podcast segment. We could. I, 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 I'm armed with the Sabre. The, the Sabre has a fine bio on Spike Eckert after I brought him up off air, making a little lighthearted commissioner humor. And now I know much more about Spike Eckert than I, than I did before. We all do. And so do we as a result of that. I mean, there's no way to provide any proper context as to why it was that you were talking about Spike Eckert. Let's not, let's not uh, retrace it. That's not, no. I, I'm just upset that I, when I did the beat report yesterday, I could have done two minutes and 20 seconds on Spike Eckert. Not nearly enough time. But I, I wasted it talking about NCAA regional play. And we're going to waste more time talking about NCAA regional play and super regional play. Wow, what a segue. Today. Uh, we are just over a month away from the draft. I know that scares me. I know it does not scare Jim. Jim is excited. Uh, I'm Why does it scare you? There's just so much to be done between now and then. I'm, this, this month, from now until the draft, is, is frightening for me. Too much to do. Kind of, kind of like Spike Eckert with phone calls. <laughs> the draft, you're deathly afraid of the draft. Exactly. I need an assistant to answer all my calls. And advise you throughout the process. Uh, we are also going to talk about a couple of the most exciting prospects in baseball this year. Uh, one of whom just made his major league debut. That would be Andrew Abbott. The other would be fellow Reds prospect who we have not yet seen in the big leagues, but Expect to see him soon. Ellie De La Cruz, who continues to just seemingly on a daily basis hit the ball 118 miles an hour, hit the ball 460 feet, unleash a throw at nearly 100 miles an hour. He's the guy is just breaking Statcast on a daily basis uh, and putting up some decent numbers uh, outside of Statcast. We are going to talk about the newest top 100 prospect. It is a Chicago Cub. We are going to talk about the prospect team of the week, highlight a couple of players who stood out last week, and we'll answer a question from the mailbag from our old friend Stevie D. So, yeah, Jim, draft fever. Where does it stand right now? What is your what is your temperature? Uh... I guess as high as it can be without being fatal. Um, so I don't know whether like 104, maybe like it, it's not just the draft, but, but being able to see, you know, I, I love the college world series probably as much as anybody and having all the regional games. And now we're past that stage, the super regional games coming up and you can watch a lot of these guys in action with seasons on the line. Uh, it's, it's very cool time of the year. Did either of you count up the number of top 200 draft prospects will be in the super regionals? No. I'm going to guess you did. I did. Mm-hmm. All right. So that sets us up for a good over-under. Uh, I'm going to say 30. Oh, it's definitely over. There's 16 teams. It is It is definitely over, but not by as much as you make it sound like. Well, I know. I, but I'm going to say, I was going to guess 47. 
well, if you take Jonathan's first number and your second number, you guys got it right. Nice, nice job, team. There you go. 37. <laughs> uh, yeah, 37, including, this is pretty cool, six of the top 10 and eight of the top 20. And all four pitchers, college pitchers who are locks to go in the first round are, are still pitching in super regional action. I feel like that's a lot. I mean, I have, n- I have no way to contextualize this from past years, but six of the top 10 and uh, eight of the top 20. It does seem like a lot. Yeah, it has to be, right? Yeah. Anyway, let's, uh, let's, let's talk about some guys to watch in the Super Regionals. We start off, I mean, we, we have the top three. Well, the thing is, last year, the top four guys were all high school guys, too. Yeah, this benefits the fact that you know we had the, you know we had some top college performers at the top of our board, all playing for really good teams who managed to advance. So it's per- perfect storm. I, I think last year the total might have been two. It might have been two of the top ten. Yeah. So w- we start off right at the top uh, with Cruz and Skeens. Um, Dylan Cruz, Paul Skeens from LSU. Cruz. Impressive in in regional play. Uh, these guys have been one two for how long now? Dating back to our what? When we went to one fifth. I mean, they came into the year. Cruz was one and Skeens was four. Right. Um, and then we moved Skeens up to number two in April, and they kind of it was business as usual for them. I mean, it's funny. I actually don't think if you were lining up all Skeens starts. I don't think it was one of his more impressive starts because he only struck out 12 in nine innings. He's averaging, you know, his rate per nine innings is now down to 16.2. He gave up two runs. Tulane's not a really strong team and his slider wasn't sharp. I mean, his fastball was his pitch. I mean, he threw 65 of 88 fastballs for strikes and he averaged 99 and touched 101, but it was the slider. He wasn't locating it well. So he wasn't just killing guys with the slider and, you know, the, the, the strikeouts were below average. So like, if we're going to, he was impressive, but nine innings, seven hits, two runs, no walks, 12 Ks. I think that's like slightly like subpar for Paul Skeens this year. It's kind of amazing that you're saying that, <laughs> uh, you know, it just it shows you. And it's funny going back to, I remember when we were putting together the new list and we were being, I mean, not to pat ourselves on the back or anything, but we were being a little bold with where we put schemes. Do you remember, Jim? I remember having the conversation with you because he's in your neck of the draft and we were basing it on what people had seen in the fall. He transferred. He was a two-way guy. So there was a little bit of a, well, let's be bold and we can always back off of him if things don't go well. And that one's turned out okay. It's easy to get overheated about guys looking great in fall ball. Like there's, there's some guys who've gone the other direction on our draft top 200, uh, who look great in fall ball. Like I'm thinking of like Nathan Detmer at Texas A&M, who's like in the one eighties now on our list who looked like a potential first rounder, but guys were just talking about how spectacular he looked. It, it, it reminded me when guys were talking about Garrett crochet in the fall of 2019, going to the pandemic draft that we didn't know was going to be a pandemic draft in 2020. And I just heard from so many people, like it was, it wasn't just like normal fall ball excitement. It was like, oh my God, this guy is unbelievable. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, Wes Johnson's one of the best pitching coaches, maybe the best pitching coach in the country. And I think he really souped up Skeens' slider and people were very excited about how it looked. And I'll, I'll just throw in a little segue. I'm, I'm excited that Wes Johnson's new coach of the Georgia Bulldogs, by the way. 
don't know if you guys saw that news. But after LSU season is over, he will be the new baseball coach at my alma mater. Wow. So hopefully he will he will perform similar wonders in Athens. Yeah, you you've been waiting for that. You've been uh, eagerly anticipating. Yeah, I, I I thought it might be Justin Herrick Campbell, but it it's going to be Wes Johnson from LSU. So we'll we'll go from there. Hopefully, brighter days ahead for Georgia baseball. Who are now right. Georgia baseball? Not in the super regional. So. No. Uh, so you talk Skeens, Cruz. Uh, now you said Skeens' start was was you know not one of his better fits. <laughs> by his stand, by his lofty standards, it was kind of like a. I'll give him a B. Can I give him a B? We'll give him a B for that start. Sure. That's just weird. You're like you're the best student in the class is setting the curve for himself. Yeah. But okay. And Dylan Cruz uh, has had a, a very nice stretch, three for five. After you were trashing him, you you yeah. On yeah, previous bird, podcast, you were you killing him for him. slumping. Burned him on to greatness. Apparently, three for five against Tulane, four bags, two for four against Oregon State, home run, five total bases. And then three, four, three runs, six total bases. Another home run. Uh, continues to get on base every single every game. game. Every single it's game. Crazy. I was going to say, those home runs were like, I didn't see the exit velocities, but they were like Ellie De La Cruz line drive blasts that got out of Alex Box Stadium in about two seconds. They, they, they were just crushed. Don't don't compare uh, Dylan Cruz to Ellie De La Cruz. I, well, I, mean, I said almost. It's not. Quite, I don't think it was 118 save miles that, an hour. But save that for the mailbag question. Exactly. Sure. Dil, yeah. Dylan De La Cruz. <laughs> the, All right. There you go. The, the Cruz cousins. But yeah, I'm, um, I'm, yeah. He he had that down month of May, I guess. Uh, but he has been on fire lately. Yeah, I mean, it's not. It wasn't even really the entire month. If you if you go and break it down but yes yeah, a little bit of a dip uh the swing and miss was up i mean the crazy thing is as you pointed out he's gotten on base every single game including during that stretch where he struggled uh he's continued to walk at an incredibly high rate over 20 percent um you know the power is real uh you know it's there's a reason why he's still you know, number one on most draft rankings on most draft boards, and you know, more often than not in mock drafts, he's he's the guy in that top spot. And I say that as I'm beginning to fiddle with uh, this with this week's mock as we talk, as we speak. Yeah, you you mentioned him, you know, walking at a high rate. He he had that spell. He was one for seventeen, but even in that that stint, he he did walk five times. So, all right, and then at number three. We have Wyatt Langford of Florida, and uh, yeah, what an exciting time to be able to see all of these guys in action at the same time, so close to the draft. Uh, but Jonathan uh, Langford from your neck of the draft. Yeah, you know, it's. I feel like whenever we start talking about the non-LSU guys, um, you know, it, it's, well, in another draft, we'd be talking a lot more about this guy. And it's not that we're not talking about Wyatt Langford. Uh, you know, he's still very much, you know, in that top uh, top five. He's not going to make it probably past pick number four. Um, and all he's done is is hit. You know, his OPS is over 1,300. He's got 18 homers, you know, more walks and strikeouts. Uh, you know, so he gets another another chance to show what he can do on the national stage. 
And I've said before, the only thing he hasn't done is play center field, um, you know, in college. Uh, and that's the one thing I think scouts would have seen. And I don't know if he played center field and played it well all year, whether or not he'd be in a similar conversation as Cruz. I don't know. But uh, I think the power is, is very legitimate and he's a good athlete. And, uh, you know, he's done nothing to sort of make him slide beyond, beyond, you know, much behind the the LSU duo. You know what's kind of cool now is after regional play, I just noticed this seconds ago, they now have identical OPS. Dylan Cruz and White Lankford both at 1310. Yeah, I was I was just noticing how similar their numbers are, Jim. I mean, Cruz is out hitting him by 45 points and out on basing him by 62. It's just crazy because why Langford's on base percentage is five eleven. <laughs> yeah, that's no good. Come on, that, that's, that's not even the that's same a neighborhood. That's well, a but, B according to Professor yeah. Callis. But, but but Dylan Cruz is slugging seven thirty six, and Wyatt Langford's like seven thirty six. Come on, man, I'm a, I'm yeah. a seven ninety nine. Muscle up. Yeah. And then Nolan Shanwell's like laughing at both of them. Like, come on, I've got a six twelve on base and an eight sixty four slug. Who cares if you guys play in the SEC? Those numbers are terrible. <laughs> but no, Nolan Shanwell's doing that at home. So. While these guys are still He's, playing. True. Um, all right. First pitcher. No, this is not the first pitcher. Second pitcher. First uh, non-Skeens pitcher. The first pitcher, not named Paul Skeens. Uh, it was the first pitcher on our top 100 list when it came out back in December. Chase Dolander. Uh, he's now number six. We may get a chance to see him. How many times could we see a pitcher throw between now and in the end if, if – Possibly four times. You could see him. You could see guys start in the Super Regional. And depending on how the College World Series schedule lines up, and if it goes three games, you conceivably could see a guy make three starts in the College World Series. And Jim, I know last week, I think it was when I asked who could we see pull a Kate Horton. Um, (laughs) And and you guys said that you felt like he, that Dolander had maybe the most to prove or the most to gain, I think it was which I thought was funny since the top five guys <laughs> yeah. you've said are locks. So like, we had him at six. He, yeah, can't, had- he, he can't move up. He, he's, he's not likely to move up, but you, you think he, he has uh, something to gain here. Yeah. But he, you know, it's funny. Like, like, so there's 10 guys who look like they're probably going to go in the first round who are active in super regionals. And, you know, Brock Wilkin had an okay weekend. He didn't hit a home run, but he went 5-14. Everybody else went off, and ch- except for Chase Dolander, who kind of continued what he's done all year, yeah. which has been really inconsistent. You know, we talked about – when we talked about last week, it was in the context of he struck out 13 against South Carolina in his final start of the regular season. Maybe that was going to be the start of a run. They didn't – they only played one game in the SEC tournament because they lost their first game. He didn't pitch, um, and it was a playing game. And, you know, against Clemson – you know, first four innings, no runs. He's scattering some hits. And this has kind of been the issue for him all season long. He has one bad inning. I, I thought I saw a stat somewhere um, over the weekend. It wasn't true in this game, but that he has an ERA over 10 in the first inning and under two after that. Um, wow. But in this case, he gave up four runs in the fifth and got chased. Um, no, pun, no pun intended. Chased. Actually, I, I made myself laugh at my own un, unintentional <laughs> pun, which wasn't even that funny. But uh, he only lasted four and a third. He got one, one out. Who know? Who knows what's going to happen? Spike Eckert. I'm, I'm laughing at my own unintentional Unfunny pun. Unfunny podcast. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, you know, he got one out in the fifth inning and gave up four runs. And that game was a classic. It went, 
It went uh, it went 14 innings. There was a dramatic three-run homer in the top of the ninth for Tennessee. I think the first base umpire kept blowing calls that got overturned on replay, including what would have been the winning run for Clemson in the bottom of the 10th. That might have been the game of the of the regionals. Went 14 innings before Tennessee won. But again, there's more inconsistency. That I, I still think you can see this stuff. I don't know why the consistency hasn't been there. I still think he's got the potential to be one of those guys. I, a, I don't think he can drop too far in the draft. There's no college pitching in the draft, and I don't think he can drop too far in the draft. I think he's got better stuff than Rhett Lauder, and I think he's got better control than Hurston Waldrip, who are also going to be in Super Regionals. I still think, for me, he'd be the number two pitcher I'd take on the college side in this draft, but I do think there's potential he's going to slide a little bit, and then in a couple of years from now, when he gets things straightened out, people are going to be like, oh, how did Chase Dolander last X amount of picks? I, I still believe in him. Although I cannot explain the inconsistency he's had this year. It's just, you know, like I said, it looked like he was turning a corner with his last start and then, you know, back to being Mr. Inconsistent this time. Yeah, he's had exactly two starts this season where he went at least six innings and gave up fewer than three runs, fewer than three earned runs, even. Um, so, yeah. Could you see him? Could he fall out of the top ten if he if he's if he has two or three more four and a third four runs seven hits? Yeah, I mean if he, I mean if he pitches like that, he's probably not going to get <laughs> Tennessee's probably going to be in some trouble. But um, he could. I mean, he could drop. I just I have a hard time coming up with guys to put ahead of him. I mean, you'd have to have you know high, a lot of high school guys go ahead of him and i i still think somebody at some point is going to say uh, like cuz coming into the year it looked like he was going to be the number 2 3 or pick in the draft and i just think at some point you know you're picking 8 9 10 you're like we didn't think we we're going to have shot this guy and the stuff right. still looks pretty good we can't pass on this and we both in our last two mocks which are now spread out over you know a few weeks we both had him at 9 <laughs> Which would be his punishment for inconsistencies. You have to go pitch a course field. <laughs> right, so. right, right. So it's, you know, I don't think it's impossible to see him fall out of the top 10 because that's not that far of a fall. But I also don't know that it's going to be, you know, one or two rough starts. He's been so inconsistent all year. If you're taking him at nine, it's because, you know, like, we've talked about you believe in the stuff and that you can sort of get that sorted out with pro instruction. And when I talk to teams, you probably have two Jonathan who have double digit picks, you know, like 10, 11, 12, like in that range. And I'm, and I bring up the possibility that Dolaner could get to him. They're like, tell me who's like, how many got you? Like how many names can you put in front of him? Like they right. don't, I, I don't even think those teams really believe he can get to them because they can't come up with, I agree guys with that. To push. And, you know, unless you just had, wild deal cutting, which everybody always speculates is going to happen. And it never happened. Like five teams cut discount deals. It's just not going to happen. All right. Well, one guy who reasonably could jump in front of us, the next guy on the list that is in super regionals, another college right-hander, Rhett Louder. Yeah. I think he's sort of like the antithesis, right, Jim? Cause he's been he's Mr. Consistent. He is yeah. so consistent, but the stuff is okay. I mean, it's, it's not bad, you know, and he, he, he was, 
he was solid in his regional start. He gave up. Give him a B also. He gives he, a B. He gave Everybody up two, gets a B today. Two, uh, two runs. Well, he's, he, he gives up two runs. He's leading the hit a sub two ERA, leading the nation in ERA. That's not, that's right. below average for a loud. Maybe should give him a D because he, he gave up two he runs. He did strike Jeez. out 11. Um, yeah, we'll give him a C. Maryland can hit a little bit. So, you know, we'll. Uh, and Wake's a launching pad. Yeah, so. right. So the, the, the combination of those things. Back to a B, as, as you said. But he's just been. You know, it's kind of what you you look for in college arms to, you know, separate themselves a little bit. And he was never going to move up into the top of the draft just because the, the stuff is a little short. But you can't ask for much more than what he's done this year, uh, especially as you pointed out, Jim. It, that's not an easy place to pitch at home. And he's managed to, you know, to do it week in and week out. Yeah, now he's 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 up there with schemes in terms of consistency. It's just like you you kind of alluded to with the stuff. It's a plus changeup. It's a you know fastball. You know sits around ninety three, ninety four, but it's not like that bat missing fastball profile, and it's an average slider. So you're you're and you know and Wake does tremendous work. They have you know one of the best pitching labs in college baseball, but I do think scouts wonder sometimes. You know, like there maybe there's a limit as to how much better a weight guy is going to get because he's already been labbed up a lot. You know, it, it's not like they haven't already, you know, done done a bunch of things that the pro teams are going to try to do. So, you know, I think he's more of a floor than a ceiling guy, but it'll be interesting. Me personally, I would still take Dolander over Louder. But if you want a you know safer pick, a better sense of what you're getting, more comfort, I guess. I could see Rhett Louder going ahead of Chase Dolander. It'll be an interesting conversation I think teams will have in that 7 to 10 range. Okay, so that's a look at the top five guys that we're going to see in the Super Regional. We are going to take a break. We're going to come back and we're going to look at the next five. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome back to the MLB Pop. What is this? What do, you, what do we call this? The MLB Pipeline Podcast. That's what it is. And I'm Jason Ratliff with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. We just talked about Dylan Cruz, Paul Skeens, Wyatt Langford, Chase Dolander, and Rhett Lauder, the top five draft prospects that will be in action in these Super Regionals. Now we're going to talk about five more. Uh, the next five on the list, Kyle Teal, Virginia catcher, is ranked number 10 on our top 200 list. Tommy Troy of Stanford, uh, shortstop, is number 19. Hurston Waldrop is number 20 out of Florida. Brock Wilkin is number 24 out of Wake Forest and Braden Taylor, number 30 out of TCU. Uh, let's start with Mr. Teal, Mr. Mayo. Okay, Mr. Ratliff. Uh, yeah, he, he was a, a guy, people who follow what we do, you know, was a, an interesting prospect at a high school, the strong commitment and the shorter draft. We've said that a million times, you know, headed to Virginia. 
He was always interesting, you know, athletic behind the plate, um, good approach, but not as much impact. And then this year, it's all really come together. Uh, he had a really good regional. I think it was seven for 12 overall at a four-hit game uh, in the last game of the regional. And he's now up to uh, an OPS of 1178. He's got 13 homers. Uh, he doesn't strike out a lot. He is by far and away the the only college catcher, you know, being mentioned in the first round, and certainly, certainly the best. Uh, and then he's the best catcher in the class overall. And uh, his name has floated up. Uh, we you know, we moved him up to to ten on our list. Uh, we've heard his name a little bit higher than that. Uh, you know, for teams that like what he can do and he's you know a guy who uh, there's a lot to like because he can he definitely can stay behind the plate if he needed to you could he's athletic enough he could go play someplace else but there isn't really any need to uh with with really good skills on both sides of the ball and you were i just going to mention jonathan talking about our list it's an absolute lock he'll be the first college catcher taken because the second college catcher on our top 200 is in the triple digits. Michael Carrico at Davidson at 105. So you're going to see Kyle Teal go somewhere in the 5 to 10 range. High schooler Blake Mitchell you know, go somewhere probably in the 11 to 20 range. And then if, you, if you're a fan of watching catchers get drafted, you could, you could probably take a round or two off after that. <laughs> All right, next up is... Our first shortstop, uh, not on the list, but that we'll see in Super Regionals. Are we a little light on on shortstops at the top of this year's draft? Would not, you guys say? Not in the college. Well, I think I'd say Altogether, no. I'll no? say no. No. Okay. I, I you, think. Jonathan? No. I mean, we got Jacob Wilson, Jacob Gonzalez. In general, no. Now, whether they and all. And there's a ton of high right, school dudes pushing up. Matt Shaw. Like, they just, a lot right. of them aren't in Super Regionals, the better college ones. Yeah, I think I think I'm thinking of 2021 where where we were so loaded with yeah that's, that was just an outlier year. We have you uh, could have we could have like 10 or 12 shortstops taken in the first round this year. You'll you'll get some shortstops. Okay, and and Tommy Troy uh, will likely be one of them, and likely won't play shortstop. But you know that's okay. You know that's one of the things that you never know with 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 these with these guys. But uh, you know another guy who. Uh, came into the year as oh an intriguing college bat to watch, and then they need to go out and perform, and he has. Um, you know, after coming off of a really strong Cape season where he hit over three hundred, uh, slugged five thirty, a little over five thirty with wood in his hands, he's kept it going. You know, uh, I feel like there are a lot of top guys hitting well over four hundred this year. Um, you know, in, in, in the college game, his OPS is North of 1200. He's got 17 homers and 17 steals. He, he's an athletic guy. Uh, you know, I think he probably ends up, I don't know, second base, maybe. Um, he played, he's played a lot of third, uh, but he did play short in the Cape last year. Maybe you send him out as a shortstop because he is pretty athletic. Uh, but it's the bat that I think people, the bat and the overall athleticism that are going to interest uh, are, in, are going to interest people somewhere in the middle of the first round. And you're not wrong on the 400 hitters, Jonathan. It feels like offense is way up. You know, we keep talking about the lack of college pitchers, but I think we're going to have six 
400 hitters in college go in the first round of the draft. It just seems like they're they're everywhere this year. All right. Light on college pitchers, but here's one. Hurston Waldrop. These are all my neck of the draft guys, so I guess I, I'm like, what? <laughs> the thing that's interesting about Waldrop is I feel like he is one of those guys. You know, it's not exactly like Chase Dolander because he, as you pointed out, Jason, right, he wasn't going to move up that much, and he's kind of in around the same area. Um, but Hurston Waldrop was the kind of guy who people have been waiting to see him put it all together because the stuff is really, really good, which is why when we were putting, you know, expanding to 200 and re-ranking and doing our mocks, it was one of these like hard to figure out what to do with him because the numbers have been very inconsistent, especially from a command, you know, walk rate standpoint. Um, but no one wants to drop him too far. And he came out in his regional and struck out 12 and only walked two in seven innings, you know, sat around 96 miles an hour with, with the fastball. He's got a good slider. He throws a split change up, um, got, you know, swings and misses with both. He is a guy, I think, Jim, who another start or two in this postseason he could start sneaking his way back up into maybe he doesn't quite catch up to Dolander and and Louder, but I think teams are going to be kicking the tires just because the stuff is so good. No, I, I agree. He's throwing more strikes. I think that's the key. His last three starts, he's walked six guys in 19 innings. For that, he'd walked 40 guys in 66 innings. I agree. We'll give him an A. That that was an A, especially given the context of uh of pitching in the regionals so he he gets an a for his performance this weekend wow jim finally doling out an a how about brock wilkin what what kind of grade are you going to stick on it so the highest ranked team uh number one team in the super regional and the second highest ranked player on that team 17 home runs as a freshman 27 this year am i reading this right yeah i think he's he gets hits home runs all the time. I've lost track, but I'm pretty sure he set the school record and the school career record this year. You know, I'm giving him a C for the weekend because he went he went five for fourteen with no homers or extra base hits. I mean, he he was fine. Wake rolled in their regional. Wake, you know, it's incredible considering you know the offensive numbers that you put up in that ballpark. How great their pitching staff's been all year, and that's with with Teddy McGraw like having Tommy John surgery, not even pitching. They they haven't even missed a beat. But, um, you know, Wilkin is a guy who's got a ton of power, strong arm, some questions on the swing and miss, although he's tightened that up some this year. Um, some questions on the third base, but he's probably adequate there with, with, with a strong arm helping his cause. But, you know, I think he's a guy who could go late first round. Um, and he was fine. You know, it's, you know, Wake just rolled in the regional and, you know, I get an extra base hit from Brock Wilkin. It, it didn't matter. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see them, you know, the super regional, super regional stage, what he can do at the next level. All right. And our 10th draft prospect, 10th ranked draft prospect that you can see in the super regional, another college third baseman in TCU's Braden Taylor. Yeah. You know, and he's had kind of a, we've, we've yo-yoed him around a little bit with the, um, where we've ranked him. He was kind of a hit over power guy coming in the year with the reputation of he does a little bit of everything, not anything that was a definite plus. And, and one of the things scouts said is we'd like to see him hit for more power. And so he did it for more power. 
and his average was down for a while. Um, so it's like, hey, you guys asked for it. He gave it to you. Now, now, now his power over hit. And he's really heated up down the stretch. I, I believe he was Big 12 Conference Tournament MVP, had a strong regional well, as well as TCU uh, won that. Um, they were unseated, uh, so they won their regional. A big upset to, to beat Arkansas in Arkansas and you know did it in three games. And now they're on to meet Indiana State. And if he keeps this role, yeah, I, I know we, we're going to do a 250 – at the end of the month. And I looking here real quick, we'd knocked him down to number 30. You know, he might jump up about 10 spots. I, I think he's, he's got the, the up arrow next to his name right now. Yeah, that sounds right. And he went from 11 on the top 100 back in December, dropped to 22 when we expanded to 150 down to 30. And sounds like it's going to rebound up a bit. Uh, yeah. 23 homers on the season, including six in his past eight games and also 14 stolen bases to go with that. All right, a couple sleepers. Let's talk some sleepers. Uh, I know, Jim, you've got a pair. Jonathan, you have one. Who's your guy, Jonathan? A sleeper to watch. Well, how how deep of a sleeper are we going here? Are we like like not a top 250 guy? There, there will be no, there will be no ju- judgment. Okay. You don't have to be Spike Eckert and be deathly afraid that we're going to mock you. Just give uh, us. If your I sleep. were deathly afraid of you mocking me, I would have left a long time ago. <laughs> you, would, you would have died. You would have yes. died many yes. years ago. Uh, so you know, I'm going to go with the, probably one of the most interesting stories to me that I've heard this spring, and uh, it's this guy Alberto Rios with uh, Stanford. Uh, you know, we talk a lot. So you're you're going off the. I'm going off the 250 now. Soundly asleep. He could sneak on to the 250. We're gonna, I'm, I'm still. The, the the biggest thing with this guy is that no one has any idea what position he he can play. But the story is unbelievable because he spent his first two years at Stanford, basically serving as the bullpen catcher just to stay on the team. Like he got a grand total of seven at-bats over the last two years. He had six at-bats last year uh, with nothing to show for it. Uh, played in the Northwoods League, Woodbat League, uh, you know, uh, last summer. And this year has an OPS over 1,200 with 18 homers and more walks than strikeouts. Uh, and he, like, people believe that he can hit, uh, but they really don't have any idea – where he can play defensively. He's actually like a decent receiver, but he might have a, a 30 arm, 40 if you're being nice. So like he's not going to catch at the next level. He's, he may just be like a DH. So like in terms of where you put him on the draft board or what round you turn him in as, as a scout, it, it is uh, been a mystery. But like what an, an amazing story. A guy like couldn't get on the field Stuck around like by by helping out basically, and then worked his way into the starting lineup, and has been, you know, outside of Tommy Troy, one of the best hitters and run producers, uh, not only in Stanford but in the in in, in the Pac-12. I mean, it's really an amazing story. All right, Jim, can you can you match that level of uh, sleeperness? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go double Oral Roberts here. One guy on our list. One guy who almost made the list when we went to 200 and will definitely make it to 250. But Oral Roberts, kind of the contrary. I think Stanford's been the Super Regional, Jonathan, four years in a row, which I think is the longest streak in NCAA right now. I believe I read that somewhere. And if I, if I didn't, I'm just making it up. But I'm pretty sure that's true. Oral Roberts, on the other hand, 
became the eighth number four seed since they went to four team regionals in 1999 to make it to a super regional, which I believe is the equivalent, if we're putting this in NCAA basketball tournament terms, of a 13 to 16 seed making it to the Sweet 16. And their top two prospects are both super interesting guys. One guy, I don't know why more people don't give this guy love. They have an outfielder named Jonah Cox, who's a JUCO transfer. We put him on our top 200 last time. And he's got tools. He can hit. You know, the Summit League, which is a league they play in, is not the strongest league. You know, so you, you have to take statistics with a little bit of grain of salt. He's another one of these 400 hitters. But he can really hit. But he's got more tools beyond. He's got well above average speed. He can play center. He's a former shortstop. He's got big league bloodlines, which which I do think matter. That, that's another point in his favor. Darren Cox, his dad, caught briefly with the Expos. And, and this guy flies under the radar. And even more amazingly about this guy flying under the radar, he now has a 44-game hitting streak that for some reason seems to get very little attention. It's the sixth longest hitting streak in NCAA history. Robin Ventura holds a record with 58. Um, he's hit in 59 out of 60 games this year at Oral Roberts. And he flies under the radar. And then his teammate, who's also a draft prospect, who's going to go, you know, I think in the fourth, fifth round, maybe, is right-hand pitcher named Cade Denton, who is the the most outstanding player of their Stillwater Regional. He saved all three games. You know, he's like 94 to 97. He's, he shows a, a solid to plus slider. He's tied the school record with 15 saves this year. Um, and, and, you know, I guess Oral Roberts, and again, I'm not trying to make puns, they're the Golden Eagles. Uh, you know, has really been flying under the radar, and that's going to change now that they're in Super Regionals. But I really like both those guys as prospects, and I, I think you could see him called, you know, maybe fourth, fifth round when the, when the draft rolls around in a month, a month or so. All right. So broke down the 10 highest ranked draft prospects you'll see in the super regionals couple of well three sleepers there for you uh 37 total top 250 no top 200 uh draft prospects in the super regional keep an eye out we'll have a story up on mlbpipeline.com breaking all of that down we are going to take a break we've got a lot to cover still when we come back we're going to talk about ellie de la cruz and andrew abbott going to talk about the new addition to the top 100 prospect list the prospect team of the week and going to answer a question from the mailbag all that coming up next on the mob pipeline podcast okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Got a lot to cover here in our final segment, so let's get to it with Ellie De La Cruz and Andrew Abbott, Reds duo. Abbott has been just about as good as anybody in the minor leagues this year, and then he got promoted to the big leagues, went out through six innings, allowed one hit, struck out six. The first time that has been done in Major League history in a, an MLB debut six innings, one hit or fewer, and six or more strikeouts. 
very impressive, and we are eagerly awaiting the arrival of Ellie de la Cruz, which I think just about everybody feels like cannot be far away. Uh, Jonathan, let's start with Mr. Abbott. Uh, pretty impressive start there. Yeah, very impressive. And, you know, in the sort of what we call our what to expect, but it was really sort of more like what makes him tick uh, story. You know, one of the things I said is that this is one of those rare times where a prospect's readiness and need came at like the same time. Sometimes you have to call a guy up because you don't have a choice. Sometimes a guy is ready, but there isn't an opportunity. You have to make an opportunity. This this kind of was a, was a perfect storm for the Reds, and he more than rose to the occasion and uh, did what he's been doing. You know, this is a guy that you know even in his college days always rose to the occasion and got better, and he's gotten better and and better. Uh, you know, keep in mind that. He hasn't been a starting pitcher for that long. He was a reliever for his first, you know, for three years in Virginia and then started in 21. Uh, so last year was his first full year as a professional starting pitcher. He raised it another level this year. The strike throwing continues to be impressive. I know he, you know, he walked a few guys. Uh, I think he walked four, but really settled down as the game went on. He mixed in all four of his pitches, um, you know, fastball, up to 95, he's averaging 93. Uh, the curveball is still his bread and butter. Uh, the slider he introduced last year uh, and the changeup, which he didn't really have in college until late, continues to get better and better, and he got swings and misses with that too. Uh, so overall, I mean, you couldn't have asked for anything better, uh, and I think he's going to continue uh, to to do what he, what he did especially once he settled in, he's going to attack the zone with his, his stuff. He's so competitive and I think, and smart. And that that's a good combination for a guy who has a chance to be a very good starting pitcher for a long time. John, did you feel like he's been underrated kind of throughout his career, like both even in college and professionally? Like, cause you know, I'll give him credit. He was one of those guys who bet on himself. You know, he could have been drafted in 2020 and he went back and got a chance to start and pitched well, but he struck out 162 guys in 106 innings. His lefty throw strikes in the ACC. And he only goes in the second round. It just feels like he got overshadowed in the draft. He got overshadowed in the red system. They've had a number of yeah. you know, very interesting pitching and hitting prospects. And all this guy does is go out and perform whatever role, whatever level you put him at. Right, And not just like throw five, six innings, keep your team in the game. Like he, he's been dominant, and he keeps getting better, like, like adding the slider. You know, and the interesting thing is, Jim, you know, so 2020, he, he was thought as this guy's a really interesting college reliever. He might have a chance to start, but we haven't seen it. Maybe you send him out as a starter. And they didn't get drafted. Um, and he, he only really bet on himself – in terms of like, well, not signing as a non-drafted free agent. Um, I talked to Brian O'Connor, the Virginia coach, yesterday, and they were surprised that he didn't go. Like this, he didn't play. He didn't like demand his way out of the draft, um, and he was very dejected at first. And, and O'Connor, and this speaks to who Andrew Abbott is. He said, "Listen, we're going to start you next year." This is O'Connor went to visit him, but you need to be. You need to. Master that changeup, so you have a, a third pitch, and you have to be a lot more efficient because, as good as he was, he walked a lot of guys because he was coming in and just trying to blow everybody away, and so he got to work, and was really, really good 
as a starter and has continued on that path. And he keeps getting better and keeps adding things. So yes, I you know it's a long-winded way of saying yeah, I think he has he has been underrated, and people maybe didn't quite understand the makeup and and what that was going to do for him as a starter at this level. All right, and let's talk the guy that I feel like everybody in baseball is talking about the prospect that everyone in baseball is talking about most right now is Ellie De La Cruz. Uh, he has just been absolutely incredible. Got a bit of a late start to start the season, but in uh, he's he's already at 12 home runs and 11 stolen bases on the year. Um, his counting stats are impressive. He's got an OPS of 1.031. His walk-to-strikeout ratio, which, you know, you look back from year to year, I think, you know, this has been a concern in 2019. His first professional season, 14 walks, 45 Ks. Second year, 14 walks, 80 Ks. Last year, had a huge year, 28 homers and 47 stolen bases. Thought he might be a 30-50 a, a guy, but he had 40 walks and 158 uh, strikeouts in 120 games. This year, 26 walks, 50 strikeouts. So that walk rate, walk strikeout ratio, which I think you know the Reds wanted to see uh, even out a bit, has done so. And then, you know, the, the the numbers that you don't see on the stat sheet, the stat cast numbers, I mean, he hits the ball harder than anybody in professional baseball. He has the hardest hit ball of the year, including anyone in the major leagues, has, what was it, seven of the 13 hardest hit balls at AAA this year belong to him. He just went home to third uh, on, a, on a hit a few days ago that had a faster time than anyone in the big leagues this year, unleashed the hardest throw, uh, the hardest throw in the minors this year. I mean, he's just always doing something. I, I don't know that I can remember a prospect that has been this exciting, uh, just with, you know, realizing the tools that he has. Uh, yeah. It, it's almost like it's hard just to talk about him. When I mean, we've talked about him some and, uh, you know, over, over time and just, you need to watch him. I like, I can't wait for him to get to, to the big leagues and, um, we're going to, uh, task our, our fine producer, Alex, with turning this around quickly so we can, you know, get this podcast up before he gets called up. Um, you know, I, I can't wait to see him unleashed on, on, in the big leagues because you're right, Jason, like every day it's something else more exciting and he can do everything really, really, really well. Uh, and I don't, you know, the, the comp to O'Neill Cruz happens all the time because he's big. He's big for a shortstop. But O'Neill Cruz was also a bit of, you know, a, a stat cast darling. But I don't know. Ellie De La Cruz may be even more electric with what he's doing this year, how consistently he's been doing it uh, with the jump to AAA. And he's still only 21 years old. I mean, it's really amazing. And uh, it's going to be fun for baseball. And he plays the game with a, just a, a passion and a joy that is infectious. And that just adds to him being one of these guys that you're going to make sure that you're not you know, going to get a, a beer at the concession stand when he's up. I think that's very well said, Jonathan. I was going to say, like, <laughs> it's almost become... Like, you know, easy to take, you know, hey, Ellie Del Cruz hit the ball 116 miles an hour. Okay, I've seen that, like, every day for the last week. Like, you know, it's it's almost like it's just becoming 
routine um, that he's he's doing something every day. But you know, I do think the Reds they have a lot of young talent. They conceivably, you know, that's not the strongest division. Could be a contender. I think in 2024, just use the rest of the season. Guys don't have to play the same position every day. Let Matt McClain bounce between second and short. Let Ellie De La Cruz bounce between short and third. Let Jonathan India bounce between second and you know, maybe he plays some third, maybe he plays some outfield. But like, you know, Kirk Herbstreet needs to simmer down. But like, you don't have to determine right now what positions these guys are going to be for the rest of their careers. Play them at, at multiple positions. Ellie De La Cruz can play short, he can play third, he can play center. See how it looks. And then you know, go into next year with a plan as to where you want guys to play. I, I cannot wait to see him in the big leagues. The, the only disappointment is we won't I, – I can't see there's any way we're going to have Elliot Dela Cruz in the Futures game, which would have been a lot of fun. And also a reminder that he's doing this at age 21 at, at AAA. So I, I was I, – I don't think we will get into this right now, but I, I was just kind of comparing his tools with the tool grades we had on O'Neill Cruz – um, when he was a top ranked prospect and pretty interesting that Ellie with a hit grade 55 compared to O'Neill Cruz 50, both with 60 power grades, Ellie with the run grade of 70 compared to O'Neill Cruz's 55 Cruz had a 70 arm De La Cruz 60, 55 fielder for De La Cruz to 50 for Cruz, uh, Cruz. kind of confusing with De La Cruz and Cruz, but uh, and then overall grade of 60 for De La Cruz and 55 for Cruz. But the outrageous tools, what is it that, that yeah, I mean, Ellie De La Cruz is uh, up to our number four prospect, where, whereas O'Neill Cruz was never ranked higher than 26. Is it, what, what is it that, that makes Ellie De La Cruz stand out to you guys more so than O'Neill Cruz as a, as a prospect? I, I mean, for me, I think it's the, it's the production. You know, O'Neill Cruz's tools were very, very exciting, but he wasn't doing it as consistently in the minors as as Ellie De La Cruz ha- has done it last year and now this year. I, I, you know, he had some injuries and, and things of that nature, but you know, we were kind of – you saw the upside and, and the ridiculous ceiling of O'Neill Cruz, which he hasn't even <laughs> – probably begun to scratch the surface. I think people were expecting that this year before he got hurt, but he just day in and day out. Wasn't, wasn't turning the tools into performance the way Ellie De La Cruz has. I think it's fair. I thought I was going to say the other thing too, Jason is, you know, O'Neill Cruz didn't get his age 21 season. He might've gone off. I mean, Ellie De La Cruz was very good last year too, but because of the pandemic, you know, he lost a season in the middle um, as well. And I, and I think if you were splitting hairs, you probably feel better about Ellie De La Cruz's chances of playing shortstop or staying in the infield than you than you did about O'Neill Cruz just because he's so big, um, perhaps. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's move on and talk about the newest addition to the top 100 prospects list, and that is Cubs pitcher Ben Brown. Yeah, yeah. I, I keep you know my go back to my greatest hits on this podcast and talk about how the Cubs have just done a wonderful job accruing a lot of pitching in the last couple of years after not being able to develop it for almost a decade. And, you know, last year's trade deadline, they picked up David Robertson. The Phillies were looking for some late inning relief help. The Cubs weren't contending. They turned David Robertson into Ben Brown, who was just beginning to break out. It, it was kind of a slow burn. You know, he was drafted in 2017 out of high school, 33rd round pick. But he had Tommy John surgery when he got to full season ball in 2019. And then the pandemic came. You know, they took it easy in 2021. He pitched 16 innings. 
so he really hadn't pitched a whole lot. Um, you know, he pitched about the 73 innings he'd pitched last year at the time of the trade were, I think, only slightly less than he'd pitched in his entire career. But man, his stuff is is fun to watch. He's six six. His fastball's ninety four to ninety eight with a lot of arm side run. Throws it out of a high high arm slot that lets it keep him on top of his breaking balls. He's got a power curve. He's got a power slider. Hasn't really thrown much of a changeup and hasn't really needed one to this point. He had a rough start when he first got to AAA, but he's kind of raided the ship this year. He's got seventy strikeouts in forty eight innings. And I, and I really think like he needs to throw a few more strikes. I mean, he's only thrown 250 innings in pro ball, even though he signed in 2017. But when he gets a little bit more consistent with his control and command, that stuff is so good. I, I think we're going to see him in Chicago at some point this summer. All right. And now on to our prospect team of the week. Uh, this year's prospect, uh, this week's prospect team of the week includes a couple of Rangers, a couple of Astros, a couple of last year's top 20 draft picks and last year's uh, minor league home run king. Uh, Miguel Palma is the catcher, uh, Astros, Grant Levine of the Rockies, first base, second base, Jace Young of the Tigers, Justin Foscue of the Rangers at third, shortstop Alex Freeland of the Dodgers, and our outfield goes like this, Matt Wallner of the Twins, who uh, has been going off since being optioned back down, Moises Gomez, last year's home run champ of the minors of the Cardinals, and a uh, top 20 draft pick from last year, Justin Crawford of the Phillies. And the pitchers, lefty Yu Min Lin struck out 13 in just five innings while giving up just one hit. Spencer Aragetti uh, of the Astros and Antoine Kelly of the Brewers is our relief pitcher. Uh, guys wanted to focus on a, a couple of these guys? Yeah, I, w- I want to talk about Justin Crawford, uh, you know, Carl's kid, Uh who was a first round pick last year. And, you know, the thing that's interesting about him is the speed everyone knew about the bat. uh, And then the question was the impact, how's it going to work at this next level? Well, so far so good. Now the power hasn't shown up yet, but you know, he doesn't have to be a big power guy. This week he was absolutely insane. He went 10 for 17, he had 588 and OPS of 1588, uh, you know, he had uh, several extra bases. We had three doubles and, and two triples, you know, and the speed is going to allow him to, as long as he can keep hitting the gaps. And it's not just a this week kind of thing for the year. Now he's up to 341. Uh, his on-base percentage is over 400. He's not striking out. He's 23 for 26 in stolen base attempts in 36 games. Uh, you know, he's doing everything. I think the Phillies – were hoping he would do when they took him in the first round. And, uh, you know, I don't know that he's ever going to hit a ton of homers. I don't know that he ever needs to hit a ton of homers. Uh, but as long as he's impacting the ball enough and then the speed is playing, because he's going to go and get it in the center field and he's going to continue to steal bags. So it, he he has now sort of entered into that. We're keeping a, a very close eye on him as a potential top 100 replacement. His dad made a pretty decent career without ever hitting many home runs, never hit 20 in a season. Well, I think of Carl Crawford, we did a long interview with him in the booth at an Arizona fall league game. And it was one of these innings that never ended. So we eventually had to, to bid him goodbye. Cause it was like a 30 minute half inning. But, uh, <laughs> like we ran out of stuff to talk to him about. He really did like the pitch clock. He was ahead of his time. He, he was like, this pitch clock's great. We should have this in the big league. So there MLB listened to Carl, but um, I want to bring up Justin Foscue, who I kind of feel like, 
I feel he's a little underrated as a prospect too, Jonathan and, and Jason. Like I feel like, like a lot of times when you t- when I talk to scouts about him, they focus on like, ah, I'm not sure how athletic he is. He's a below average runner. Don't really love him at second or third base. And it's like, okay, like that's fair. Like he's probably a fringy defender with below average speed, but this guy just hits. You know, he's a former first round pick. You know, he's hit throughout his career. Um, this year, you know, he's hitting for average. He's hitting for power in AAA. He's really controlling the strike zone. And especially last week, he walked 10 times and struck out once the entire week. Um, went six for 15 uh, with four extra base hits. He's having a really nice year in, in AAA. He's got 36 walks, 25 strikeouts, the best strikeout to walk ratio of his career, which has basically gone from three strikeouts per walk in his, his debut to about one and a half strikeouts per walk last year. And this year he's got more walks and strikeouts without sacrificing power. And I, I just look at the year Texas is having and all the runs their offense is scoring. I don't know where he's going to fit in their lineup. You know, they, they have, you know, Marcus Semien at second. They have Josh Young at third. They have Ezekiel Duran who can play both positions and is having a great year. Um, you know, he's kind of like the guy who bounces all over the infield. You know, two of their three outfielders are having a nice year. Um, so I don't know where Justin Foscue is necessarily going to fit in Texas, but that guy, he just keeps hitting year after year. That's all he does. You know, maybe, I don't know, maybe, you know, if they're looking for a trade piece, Justin Foscue's expendable, but, but that guy is quietly having a great year. And I just don't see where to put him in Texas's lineup right now. How about the plate discipline and control, uh, between him and Evan Carter in that organization? Yeah, not bad. The, 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 something's working there. Dustin Harris has good plate discipline too. All right, let's wrap things up by answering a question from the mailbag. Comes from our old friend Stevie D. Stephen D'Alessio asks, with all the hype surrounding Ellie De La Cruz, how does he compare to some of the top position players in this year's draft? Jim, you started to make this comparison. Well, uh, way back at the beginning of the show. Oh, I wasn't really making the comparison. I, I, I think the short answer to the question is. Is it Ellie de la Corn? Uh, Ellie de la Corn. See, okay. <laughs> I was going to call him a unicorn. Ellie de la Cruz is a unicorn, but now we're just going to call him Ellie de la Corn. Uh, Ellie de la Cruz is you're, a unicorn. You're going to do that. I will not do that. Yeah. Anyway, you know, when you do the what to expect, you can use my line there, Jonathan. I give you permission. Mm. You don't even have to print it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that can be the headline too. But anyway, I, I don't think he compares to anybody. He, he's just so unique. I mean, it's essentially he's got, you know, I think Wyatt Langford probably has our highest power grade in this year's draft and Ellie de la Cruz is 21. So he'd be a college junior. He's got more power than what, than, than Wyatt Lankford. He's, I don't know if he's an, is he an 80 runner? Would you go 80 runner, Jonathan? 70? 70. Okay. Well, we'll be conservative. Like, he yeah, might 70. be an 80 runner. And he might sure. play faster that once he gets going. But anyway, like the highest ranked guy we have on the list, who's a 70 runner is Max Clark. And, and I love Max Clark, but he's got a lot more power than Max Clark. His arm I think the best arm we have on here is Blake Mitchell, who's a high school catcher slash pitcher from Texas. His arm's probably better than Blake Mitchell's. Like, if we were doing a best tools list, Ellie would have best power, best arm, and be best athlete. Like, the one question would be the hit. Like, so I don't know if you would take him if he's a 55 hitter over Dylan Cruz being a 70 hitter. But, like, from a tools standpoint, he would blow everybody away. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I don't. And ceiling wise, it's just, I, I don't, he would be at the, at the top of the board for me. Uh, I don't think it's going, going uh, way out on a limb. You know, you mentioned Max Clark. 
Clark, you know, may have the highest overall ceiling uh, of the guys at the top of the draft rankings. And so maybe that's the closest, and he is only 18. Um, but he's not the, the sort of physical freak of nature, thus the De La Corn aspect of what you're talking <laughs> about um, with, with De La Cruz. Uh, and that's not – and I love Max Clark, but it's not. It's not even fair to compare them to, you know, from a tools and, and athleticism standpoint while knowing that Max Clark is a premium athlete. So it's, uh, yeah, he, he, he would stand well ahead of any of, any of the other position players for those reasons. Yeah, yeah, I, I will quibble with you slightly. I think Max Clark has the best all around tools. I don't know that he has the highest ceiling because I think his power is, is more average than. Than, than the power ceiling, some of the guys, like I, I'd probably go cruise highest ceiling, but you know, if we're going to factor in performance, I don't know, like uh, Jason, do you have a handy, like triple A to sec calculator? You could translate <laughs> LA de la Cruz's 1031 ops into SEC right. numbers. Like, right here. like if you're going to factor in what he's done in like, you know, we talk about it comparing, we've talked about the top five and how the college guys are ahead of the high school guys. Cause even though they're close, the college guys have performed on another level. Well, as you guys know, I, I like the SEC as much as anybody. It is the best conference in college baseball, but realistically, it's equivalent to like even low A might be a little bit pushing it because there's guys in the SEC who aren't going to play professional baseball. It's it's certainly not equivalent to AAA, and Ellie De La Cruz is tearing up AAA. So if you're factoring in performance, I think he would be the number one pick. Like like if, if and you they somehow, are the they are the same age. Yeah, that's what yeah that's what I'm saying. Like he's doing it in AAA, and they're tearing up the SEC. Like that's, you know, like the hit, you might quite like Dylan Cruz is a better pure hitter than Ellie De La Cruz, but you have to give Ellie De La Cruz has better, you know, crazy all around tools. Like I said, he's a unicorn and he's do he's tearing up AAA and Dylan Cruz is, is tearing up the NCAA. So, um, but yeah, I, the short answer again is there's not really compare. Like I, you can't, I don't, it's hard to compare Ellie to anybody really. Ellie De La Corn, officially the worst nickname ever. ever <laughs> unintentional. I, I'm unintentionally punning. I'm unintentionally nicknaming. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's yeah. You know, Ellie De La Cruz is much like Spike Eckert. Like he had <laughs> yes, a, a unique. Wow, you've brought a uniquely full circle. Short, but 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 like but in terms of uniqueness, Spike Eckert, the three year reign as commissioner, Ellie De La Cruz with the unicorn tools. Like there you go. I, I was bringing it back full circle to Spike Eckert here <laughs> at the end of the podcast. Good try. <laughs> Good try. All right. Thanks uh, for the question, Stevie D. And thanks, everybody, for listening. That's a wrap for this week's edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening. See you next week. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazon's 
of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. 